Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another episode of Observations. Comic books and pop culture have become one. That's the fastest, easiest, clearest way to say it. It's all one big thing. There is not a day that goes by now. And the reason I talk about it is in my own life, I am still shocked every day at how um, prevalent all comic book material is now to the culture. It is everywhere. It is in on 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 shelves at your market at your grocery store at your big box store at your uh i mean at your toy store it's all over our streaming uh lives on our tv sets our computers our handheld devices so it's crazy and and we talk about it we always talk about it here i love talking about it here that's what we do and today oh i love this episode this is so good because i always um it's it's fun to have an an episode that you can react to stuff that's happening and yet it can be informative. And that's what we intend to do today. We intend to be uh, informative. I'm going to try and be as informative as I can on, on a subject I'm even surprised that I will have a fair amount of knowledge on, which is the subject of reshoots. It was um, announced last week that uh, that that Doctor Strange had been... Uh, had, had, had been... Um, scheduled for an extended, you know, they made a big deal, extended amount of reshoots. Uh, the, the Doctor Strange sequel, Doctor Strange 2, it's uh, maybe Into the Mouth of Madness. Is that what it's called? I don't have it in front of me. I just The sequel to Doctor Strange was going to undergo a serious amount of research, reshoots according to a late-breaking article that uh, that was, was coming out... Uh, uh, all over the place. It, I, I don't know who broke it, but but people were quick to to run it and 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 spread it as if there was um, impending doom. Uh, you know, I- I- impending doom on on the on the Marvel franchise and on and on and on Marvel and uh, and all of its uh, and 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 all of its subsidiaries. And and reshoots, oh, extensive reshoots, extensive reshoots was was thrown in there because because anything to make you click it and read it and absorb it and ponder it and maybe talk it to your friends so they can click it and read it and absorb it and ponder it with their friends and pass it along and you guys understand there is an entire generation now. It's it's important to notice. It's important to notify you and I've done it in the past. Um, so much of the stuff is on YouTube, which is really the wild, wild west. And there are all sorts of people, but, but some of the, some of the websites, um, are also complicit in the fact that they just run with something that they know will inflame you, uh, and, and, and get you, you know, uh, uh, alarmed. The, uh, the more alarmed you are, the more likely you are to click and listen more, more likely to listen. Truth, truth be told. All these sites will tell you they've all gone more to video uh, video material because people would rather watch a video than read it. I am clearly a dinosaur. I would rather read it, which also speaks to, you know, I'm going to be honest, this doesn't, this is not a correlation. I'm not going to draw this line, so don't try and make it that I did. I understand that video is more enjoyable and some of these people really cut some great videos, so let's... Let's understand that some of these um, videos have some great uh, visual design elements, um, edits. They're funny. I've seen a bunch of them. 
When I went on a deep dive on a YouTube video, the last time was when the last Matrix uh, for the new sequel that's coming out in December of this year, whatever that's called, but the the the, the revisit, the Matrix where Keanu's got his John Wick beard. And uh, after I saw that uh, trailer, the second trailer clip, I went down the rabbit hole and I listened to some YouTube um, while I was drawing on you know, all of our smart TVs now have the YouTube components, so it's easy to just click, and they just roll one one after the other after the other. And a lot of them get into theories, and some of them are, are out to scoop and tell you that only they know what was really seen. And I understand that some of these people, you know, um, you know, uh, have in fact uh, been right sometimes. A broken clock is 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 right twice a day, right? So I mean, you know. Um, it's it's still a broken clock. So so here's the deal. We're going to discuss reshoots today because I can speak to uh, the reshoots that were done on Deadpool and the planning that went into those and why they are now built into every single budget uh, in 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 the known populace of a pop culture you know filming. It, it, it is it is part of the cake. It's one of the ingredients. It's not an ingredient they left out and they're like, oh, you you forgot the frosting. It is the frosting, okay? That's what the reshoots are. They're the frosting. It's not the special effects. The special effects was, was, was built in, but so was the frosting and the frosting goes on last. You don't make a cake with the frosting first. You make the cake. Then you put the frosting and, if, and, and then after the frosting, you may put, you know, decorations. You may put action figures on your cake. You may, you know, put all little extras that they, that they sell you at party city. So again, I just give it a big old shrug. And then, um, you know, especially from that amazing, just fantastic book that I, uh, got an entire episode's worth of material in regards to, uh, the, uh, in, 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 in that, that entire episode, uh, where I, I was able to get the entire Civil War episode uh, that I did recently, uh, where, 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 where uh, the, the, the story of Marvel Studios. Um, we're just going to go briefly dip into that well because that can come alongside some of the information that I want to share with you today that can better, really better, I mean extremely better build out because uh, th- that excerpt will be about Thor. And I'll get into the specifics of that as we go further into the episode. But, you know, the alarmist fare that breaks on a Friday afternoon that's meant to get you, you know, to have your hair go on fire. Oh my gosh, Marvel's in trouble! Oh my gosh! There's reshoots! And then immediately, there's some of the YouTube um, vultures that are like, uh, I'll be on in five seconds to tell you exactly what's going on with these reshoots. I know and only I know and my inside source inside the palace has, has informed me when this will all be going down and why. Okay. That's how that stuff reads to me. And now I understand how people give me a voice because I just assigned like a voice like this <laughs> to YouTubers. Okay. The 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 book again, again when I read from it Marvel uh, Studios the story of Marvel Studios which you should at least get for a great uh, amazing um, you know Christmas present uh, that was written by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry you got two Terrys Tara Terry Tara and Terry okay Tara Bennett Paul Terry they wrote this Marvel Studios book it's a great handsome coffee table book even my wife was checking it out the other day and she's like oh my gosh. 
Luke, my oldest son, when he gets uh, back from college break for the holidays, she's like, he's going to love this. He's going to love this. And he is. It's, it's, oh, it's got visual components, great photography, great behind the scenes stuff, photos on set scenes you've never, uh, depictions you've never seen, VFX, you know, before and after. Really just an amazing book that I think, um, again, is, is very educational. And I live to be educated. I live to be to, to, to learn more and, 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 and to expand my knowledge. And, and I love research. And so when we read the Thor excerpt, the excerpt about the Thor films, we're going to do that from that book. But first of all, again, the YouTubers come on because the news breaks, okay, that the Doctor Strange movie is going extensive, going through extensive reshoots. And, you know, I was watching an interview that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was doing for his new Netflix movie on CBS this morning, uh, not this week, but last week, he was um, doing promotion because uh, I think it's The Way of the Dog. It's a Netflix uh, film that he's extremely uh, proud of. Kirsten Dunst is in it. Um, Jesse Plemons. So, so it's it looks to be kind of a, a you know gritty, dark western. A lot of deep characterization stuff. So Benedict is on out on the promotional trail and I couldn't help but noticing that during the interview that was done recently and it was done uh in California that he looked like Dr. Strange he had the Dr. Strange haircut uh and and oftentimes like you'll see a lot of these guys except for the rock the rock is shiny bald and unshaven almost all the time so when he is a character and when he is not a character he is literally the same guy. I mean, I follow him on Instagram, like all of you. I'm one of his 300 billion followers. And uh, he has, you know, whether he's talking to us from the gym, from his dining room table, showing us his cheat meal, um, or on the set, The Rock basically looks the same. Other guys, like Ryan Reynolds, will uh, grow his hair out, get a full beard, uh, whereas his character in Free Guy does not have a full beard, or his character in Red Notice does not have a full beard. He will go full beard, uh, in the in the off season, in between shoots, maybe he'll get that, grow that beard, you know, a couple inches now that he's on a bit of a sabbatical. So so he he is one of the many I, I see that whether it's uh, Brad Pitt kind of does the same thing. DiCaprio, they grow a lot more facial hair. Maybe they grow their hair a little longer. Um, Josh Brolin does the same thing. And again, th- this notification about Stephen Strange, the Stephen Strange look on Benedict is... Uh, I'll note to you again, um, when I talk about Deadpool, specifically specifically Deadpool 2, how Josh maintained, um, had, to, had to really maintain that hair uh, for, for the better part of a year, given that they know that these reshoots are going to happen. So, you know, the Doctor Strange um, look that Benedict was sporting made me think, wow, he's probably shooting reshoots right now. He hasn't, there's no, he didn't have any facial hair so that they can easily put that um, goatee on him in, in hair and makeup. But he definitely um, was, 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 had his specific look, uh, and, and it turns out that they are in the midst of these reshoots. So what is a reshoot? We'll get, we'll get really just jump right into it. Uh, they did reshoots on Deadpool and Deadpool 2, and both of which were built into the schedule. When they plan a movie now, Especially, and and I will, you know, maybe, maybe we can go as far back and say this all started with the Marvel model because I'm going to tell you the movie that needed the reshoots the most, and I think it actually got a few, but 
but it needed a lot more was the 2009 Wolverine Origins movie. But I don't believe the aggressive uh, scheduling was part of this process until Marvel really made it industry-wide that this is part of their business. And you're going to see in the processes, you get some real gold. And that is why they do them. They are looking for that extra added punch that uh, that gets you, that gets them, that gets them, that those who are financing and putting all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the sweat equity into the project, they are the ones who want this to work in the worst way. They want it to succeed so that they can do more. So they want those moments that are gonna that are gonna sing and they're gonna take you to that next place. The first Deadpool movie had um, had some, I would say, some minor minor reshoots and um that they they, they, uh, they were not of I would say the the majority that they were not um bigger than the reshoots that they did on Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 they already knew what they had. They they knew that they were spending more money, the stakes were a little higher. So I was able to actually see uh, a giant section get shot when I was visiting the Deadpool 2 shoot, shoot in Vancouver in September. The movie was wrapping in the first week or about 10 days into October of 2017. My scheduled visit, where I got to hang out on the Deadpool set for two, two, three, no, two, three, four days because I was there a week, and uh, take out the travel days, I was able to be on set for about three and a half days. And they were shooting on, I've mentioned this before in my Making of Deadpool uh, podcast series that I did. I did a podcast series. I did it uh, with the express, you know, interest of answering all your questions. Because over the years, over the 30 years Deadpool's been alive, I get a lot of questions. And that, I, I highly recommend you listening to the five-part uh, Deadpool podcast series because it, I try and leave no stone unturned. I try and answer every single question about the toys, the video games, the cartoons, action figures, comic books, movies, all of it. Because I've been there from day one. I'm Deadpool's day one. Okay, so I've been I've been in in this car riding along with him. The uh, my visit was uh, scheduled so that I could see Josh and uh, Ryan on set in in sound stages and and Deadpool number one. Uh, was absent a whole lot of sound stages. There was a ton of location shoots. Yes, there were sound stages, but nowhere near the giant hangers uh, that we were given, we being the production by Fox, for the sequel. Uh, having been on set in 2015 as they were making 2016's Deadpool in Vancouver, I can tell you the entire production was much larger on the sequel. How could it not be? The thing that really blew me away, and this isn't a tooting of the horn, this really is, it's more about the R rating than anything all the time with me. Um, you know, in that Marvel story of Marvel Studios, again, when I was talking with you guys about the money that they raised to finance the entire endeavor, it talks about how the money being put forth, those films had to have PG-13 ratings. They didn't want them, not not a single one of them could have been R rated. That's, that's, um... That's how that's how that's how the entire model was built. You could say family friendly, you could say family edgy, both kind of 
you know, apply here earlier in, in, uh, earlier in the, uh, in the, the, the weekend, there was an article about like the war inside Disney plus and a, another kind of, is this really going on or is this meant to, you know, uh, just get my clicks. I, I just read a couple tweets about it. I didn't go deep because some now people understand that some of you don't want to do the deep dive into the article. What they really want is for you to follow their tweets. So they'll lay a lot of the article out in the tweet instead. But one of the tweets was like, will Disney stay family friendly, family edgy, or will it finally go into R-rated material? And then of course it turned into a discussion of Deadpool. The R rating on Deadpool, as I've discussed so many times, kept people out of the theaters. It did. And people bought tickets to see Zoolander 2 instead on opening weekend of Deadpool. The sequel, they didn't move. They didn't budge. They kept it R rating. There's there's R rated violence, language, sexual uh, situations that you will not find in another superhero movie. And especially Deadpool 1. Wow. Talk about, I mean, that movie pushed the envelope. But in reading the story of the Marvel Studios and looking back and seeing that the worldwide gross, the worldwide gross for Captain America was under 400 million and that cap actually made less than Thor in the summer of 2011. And that, um, then you look further and see the grosses for Dr. Strange for Ant-Man for the, the domestic totals for Spider-Man, um, you know, homecoming, which had Downey Jr., which had Michael Keaton, which had a ton of connectivity, you know, to civil war and the Marvel universe. When you see that that movie did less than Deadpool domestically, um, and that you see so many of those other movies globally were hundreds of millions of dollars behind Deadpool. They did not expect that. Fox did not expect that. They were not seeing the success of Deadpool 1. So for Deadpool 2, they obviously now have kind of a, a better sense of what they can spend. It wasn't an enormous, ginormous, you know, increase in budget. But if you spent $55 million on the first movie and it made you just shy of $800 million, then you're okay spending about $100 million doubling that budget for the sequel, which they did. So they had the biggest sound stages available in Vancouver. Um, I remember the route and the routes that we drove to all the shooting in the first movie. And I could tell already we're going to a different part of town. Wow. Look at this expansive parking lot. It's like the, uh, it was it was like across from this aerospace place, again in Vancouver, and these two giant uh, sound stages so big that each sound stage had three different sets in them. Uh, the 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 flashback where Cable goes to the past and sees uh, his um, his his family. We watch his family get uh, get killed, get burned. Um, you know by. Uh, by Firefist, Firefist, the older version of him. That was, you know, uh, towards the back, backside of one of the studios. There was part of the prison, Juggernaut Cell specifically, and the hallway to Juggernaut Cell where they would, where, 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 uh, where, where young Firefist was passing him notes underneath the door. That is a separate area. There were also isolated cells, like the ones that, um, that, 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 Ryan um, filmed with Firefist, and uh, you know that, that that was in a separate section. And then uh, another section of the sound stage that I was on, and I was only on one of the giant sound stages, and there was two allotted to this production. Uh, the other sound stage that I was on was the big um, the big transport trucks that had all the mutants in them, where the giant fight takes place. 
and uh, part I watched my my choosing of the dates was because I wanted to see Ryan and uh, Josh together. And I, there was a lot of stuff that was done on location in the streets of Vancouver. Um, and, and I wanted to be more, see this more contained, the soundstage stuff <clears throat> and had guaranteed dates where they would be together. So Ryan and Josh, so I'm watching my creations, Cable and Deadpool interact together in this situation. Uh, gi- I mean, giant, they had the exterior, okay. The exterior of the, um, of the, the, the transport giant. 18 wheeler transport truck with the individual cages with all of the different, um, it's where people think they saw Omega red and some of the other, all everybody in their yellow, um, their yellow, you know, jump gear, black Tom Cassidy. So in the movie that you saw, this is the sequence where as they're fighting, Deadpool shoots black Tom Cassidy through his containment, you know, cell that is on the transport. And of course, you know, Deadpool had to ride his moped to even get on there in the first place. Well, the section that I saw seemed had the initial fight between Cable and Deadpool on the transport and they're rolling around, they're kicking each other, they're fighting. Later in that same afternoon, uh, the, the, uh, the, the fight took to, they, they were outside, um, of the transport and, um, on, on the roof of the transport and it's black Tom and his one big giant minion. I forgot who the big large guy was. Uh, and a third guy battling Deadpool. And in that, uh, Deadpool, uh, cuts off black Tom's hands and then severs his head. I watched this being filmed. It was very exciting. A lot of stunts, Ryan shot a couple things. They'd pull him out. They'd put his stunt double in for the more dangerous stuff. Now, this is all, again, uh, in on a soundstage. David Leach is directing. The whole crew is there. Josh is sitting in a chair. I am seated next to Josh watching all this. And, again, they're swapping out Ryan um, for some of the actual line reads. And then in it, uh, you know, it was, it was great. Ryan did a flip. He did a kick. He... Uh, sliced the big guy and impaled him and kicked him off the truck. And then he flipped around and cut off Black Tom's hand and then impales him. Great stunt movement, very John Wick in how fluid and, you know, um, there was like a backflip kick, some punching, some sword play. It was very exciting. I filmed it all. The reason I know this is I filmed it all. When I got to the stage, you know, in this visit, I had signed a thing and the, the president of Fox and the president of production had said, Rob, you can shoot whatever you want, but you're signing this to say that you never show it. So I would love to show you in actuality, this, it was all behind a big giant green screen as well. This entire area has all these all around the truck that is inside, uh, that is inside the, the soundstage uh, behind kind of a curtained area, all of this also on this soundstage, sorry, I forgot was the office where they audition all the X-Force characters. So on a single soundstage, I mean, when I say these are mammoth, you could have parked multiple planes, multiple giant planes, uh, in these giant hangars that are now soundstages. And 
I forgot the office because I did an interview for the DVDs and I am situated. They sat me in the offices where, uh, where, where the, uh, where, where Deadpool, uh, hires, um, all of the, all of the new X-Force members where, where Zazie auditions as Domino, where, where Peter comes in that entire, that set is also a room that's in, that's also kitty corner to what I said, where I said the prison was where Juggernaut's specific cell was. And again, there was those clear cells that were right outside of that area. And again, then way over in the back of this soundstage was the futuristic, uh, Cable's home where his wife and daughter were killed. And, and, and I, and I saw that scene that, that was the first thing I saw when I landed. Then again, I saw all this other stuff get, get filmed and it accumulated this one day with this giant, um, you know, transport battle. And so I see how black Tom is killed in this, uh, exchange. And I see, uh, uh, you know, some great action. And then I see Josh and Ryan, try and keep straight faces as they are rolling around, punching and kicking. There, there was a lot of laughing in between takes, but these guys held it together and they made some great stuff. And I got to see it, you know, played back to me on the iPads and on the cameras. And it's, it's great. Um, and then the, 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 the stuff that's generally shot the day before is already edited together in a, in a, in an editing bay offsite and sent to the director. So David Leach was able to look at that stuff. So I saw a lot of exciting stuff, uh, Again, more, almost all of the action that I saw took place inside, outside the transport. And again, that's a great sequence in the film, that entire transport, which obviously ends with Juggernaut tearing Deadpool into two. That's how that sequence ends. Well, so here's the cool thing. Um, You know, I get to see all of this. And then the next day when I showed up, they had already edited all of that and said, Hey, do you want to see what you saw yesterday? All that action. You want to see it edited. And again, they handed me the iPad because I had seen it on replays. I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw it on the monitors, but then I saw it on the replays. Well, the next day the stunt team said, Hey, do you want to see how we just edited this? Do you want to see it? And I loved it. I love that Deadpool was, you know, dispersing of black Tom in this manner and taking out his henchies and, uh, I was just, I I remember leaving, um, just so thrilled having, uh, gotten to spend that much time with Josh and Ryan and, and, and just talk character and comics and, and all that crazy fun stuff with the two of them. And, uh, again, I cannot tell you how thrilling it is to, uh, have watch your stuff come to life in front of you. It's exciting. It's, It's really exciting. So, uh, anyway, Saw some more scenes the next day, some more interactions, um, always during the lunch breaks, all of the, um, all, all, all of the, uh, the, 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 the mutants in their suits would, um, would, would gather, you know, for lunch. So it was funny on the, on the lunch breaks, um, when you're getting your food, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting down and you're hanging out and, and you're watching all these guys, um, you're watching, all these, I mean, they're in makeup, they're in their suits, but they have to eat their chicken and rice and soup it, it's in desserts. Um, cause again, it's, these are long days. These are really long days and it's really fun. And, and then I'm um, going into the makeup trailer, visiting Josh, seeing Ryan in his office, signing some comics. These set visits were really fun. And, and I, I just can't even tell you how much cool stuff that I was able to see. Um, so then, you know, 
filming wraps a couple weeks after I leave. And lo and behold, in late January, Fox has asked me to come up to David Leach's uh, dedicated production offices on the Fox lot. And they have a cut that they want to show me. They're really excited about it. Um, so I saw, I'd say, 75% of the movie that day in David Leach's office. And he then said, you know, but there's some stuff we are going to do differently because we've got our reshoots for March. And he says, uh, and we have one of our first test screenings uh, next week. Now, let's rewind all the way back because we just hit on the, the big, big, big ticket, the test screenings. The Doctor Strange stuff is supposed to be that like, you know, in some of these hollowed reports by these insiders who weren't there and, and, and their sources probably weren't there either, but their sources have a source, have a source, have a source that were there. Say that studio screenings of Doctor Strange, you know, People didn't like it. Well, I can't speak to Dr. Strange. I'm recounting what you're reading and what I'm reading, but I'm also trying to inform you about the art of the reshoot. And there's a real art to it here, okay? The test screenings help hone the picture. They help shape it. They help give the studio, whether it's Disney, Sony, Universal, Fox in this case, gives them the information how best to shape it going forward. In Deadpool's case, in the first Deadpool, uh, the 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 jokes changed. Uh, some of the outcomes of the characters changed due to the test screening. I've recounted in in one of the I think it's the last episode, maybe the second to last episode about the 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 legendary test screening on the Fox lot. It's coming up. It's about a it'll be six years soon when it was the final test screening. And they had augmented the jokes. Um, stuff that you saw in the trailers had different jokes. Gina Carano's lines um, as Angel Dust had different... She had different lines, different delivery. And um, the, 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 the afterwards, because the audience was subdued, in the aftermath, when the producers, Simon Kinberg, Tim Miller, the director, the writers, Paul Wernick, Rhett Reese... All of, the, all of the line producers, the actual producers, some of the executives, they huddled and they said, look, we should brace ourselves that this number is going to be below the last one. They got, they had gotten, I think, an 89. 89 is great. Uh, anything in the 90s is gold. Uh, I, I, it, it, legend will tell you that it scored a 93. And, and the president of Fox was, was thrilled. I was right there. The electricity was surging. Everyone's mood had changed in the span of 25 minutes, 30 minutes, because while everyone was outside huddling, the 120 people who had been packed into the theater to see the movie were being escorted out, and the 20 people who were staying for the focus group were taking position down in the front of the theater. I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to be a part of it. One of the Fox people said, no, you want to see this. This is fun. This is where this happens. I had a friend who directed some movies in the 90s. He directed three movies. They all One was decent. The other two absolutely bombed. And they screened down in Orange County. He invited me to them. I felt terrible for them. There's nothing you, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than when your friend has a movie and the focus group rips into it. And, and they are encouraged at that moment to rip into it. I've seen it. This guy wasn't funny. Uh, that wasn't a funny joke. I don't know why you guys even hired this actress is the kind of stuff that you'll hear at these these focus groups, it's brutal, it's tough, it's awful. I, that's why I was like, I don't want to go in here. This, 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 I'm too close to this movie. And they're like, no, 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 you want to go in. 
And for whatever reason, I was standing alone outside the, the Fox Theater on the lot where they do the testing. And I said, I'll just go inside. I mean, I was really, I was sick to my stomach because everybody seemed to be down. They seemed to believe in their minds and only they would know that in the previous screenings that the movie had done a lot better, that the movie had had done better in previous screenings and they were braced for the fact that this was going to be lower. It was even discussed, as I've said in my making of Deadpool, it was even discussed. It was literally, when I say discussed, like repeatedly said back and forth and I would even go so far as to say debated um, was the fact that uh, that they may even cut the opening credit scene because they one guy said, we haven't earned it. The audience was tepid. They didn't react at this screening in December of 2015. They didn't react because we haven't earned it. We got to get rid of that. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? What? I, like, literally, I'm, I'm biting my tongue. I'm deciding that if there's a, a place to try and champion the opening, it will be when this entire evening is over and a couple of the guys are going to the car and then I isolate and try and pick them off one by one. But it was like, we haven't earned it. This is the Juice Newton, Angel of the Morning, the credit sequence, which is so great that has been in the script since 2010. Rhett and Paul, that is one of the truisms that made its way from every version. So check this out. We go back. The focus group can't find a single flaw. They love it. The guy who's conducting the focus has all of the decision cards and he passes them on to the person to tabulate them. So they're going to tabulate the plus 100 scores of the people who were there who saw it. Those scores matter. They are very pointed in what they're asking. The focus group, the most important thing to hear, and again, I, I look, I'm going to give you an excerpt from a focus group. If this was in an earlier podcast, forgive me. If this is new to you, great. Uh, the guy said, can anyone tell me what they liked about Deadpool? Anybody like what? Anybody tell me what they like about Deadpool? Also, you have to know this group of people did not know what they were seeing until the lights went up. You go for an advanced screening. You can guess at what's coming out in the next few months. You can think, maybe I'm seeing this X, Y, and Z. They don't tell you. When I was there, they said, welcome everyone. Tonight, the movie that you'll be screening and uh, scoring for us is Marvel Comics Deadpool. The place erupted. That's when like Fox, I think, knew like this thing is... Fairly pre-sold. Wasn't coming out till Valentine's Day of February 2016. It is December 10th, 2015. It is a Tuesday night. I am with Tim Miller, all of the, everyone in the production except for Ryan. And uh, who is in the in the East Coast. So we, uh, when it gets down to this focus group, the guy says... All right, everybody, because there's 20 people that they've been selected. I don't know. I don't know the process of selection. I don't know how random it is, but it was kind of equal parts, guys and girls. Only two guys identified as knowing Cable from the comic books when it started. But when he said, tell me what you liked about Deadpool, one woman shot her arm up. She shot her up. It, I mean, she beat everybody. Pick me, pick me. You know, it's like out of, I'm going to really date myself here. Welcome back, Cotter from the 1975 glorified sitcom that gave John Travolta his launch. It was Horshack, a character on the show saying, Mr. Kata, Mr. Kata, pick me, Mr. Kata. I mean, she was like extending that arm. She's in the back of the, you know, two rows that they had. She was in the second row. But man, if she could have reached out and grabbed that, that, uh, uh, the guy running the, the focus group, she could have. And he said, okay, you, what, what did you like? She goes, I like wham. 
And that's exactly how she said it. I like Wham! And of course, you know the Wham! song, Careless Whisper, plays a huge role in the film um, throughout. And he goes, oh, okay. You, you like Wham? She goes, yeah, I love Wham! And she kind of laughed. And I'm like, well, that's an important takeaway that we just all... But he's like, good, good. So you enjoyed the music. Uh-huh. I really like the music. So he prompted her. He, you know, but her... What they knew at that moment was, wow, that Wham! selection is perfect. We've got an, you know, all systems go. Other other guys said, I like the violence. I like the sex. I like the R rating. You know, I like the jokes. You know, whatever. It then came down to the crucial, and really this is so important. The guy, the Barker, says, I'm about to ask you, did you like this movie? And um, we're going to go from you highly recommend. That is your, that is the highest possible recommendation that I'm going to ask you for this movie to raise your hands. So when I say, do you highly recommend this movie? I want a show of hands. Again, there are 20 people. Um, 15 people's hands shot up. High, highly recommend this movie. That is the, that is like giving it a 10. That is the highest score. What? And the guy said, oh, wow. And he counted one, two, three. And, I, and I, we're all counting from way back in the theater. One, two, three, four, 15. He's like, all right, all right, all right. So, so, so 15 of you, I want to correct. 15 of you highly recommend, you will highly recommend Deadpool to your friends. You highly recommend the Deadpool movie that you just saw here tonight. Yes, yes, okay. All right, the next category is you really liked it. You, you feel very strongly about this movie and you really like, can I see the show of hands for the, boom, the rest of the five went up. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, so the worst we did was strong and then the best we did was 15. Highest possible recommendation. Highly recommend it. Then the president of the studio called Tim Miller up from, he was leaning up against the wall with myself. Tim goes up and she says, this is the best damn score we've gotten on a film uh, better than Avatar. And then she made her joke as, as, as getting a 93. She said, now go get me that other 7%. Um, and just laughed. And she goes, no, seriously, take a bow. You guys have done a great job. This movie's in great shape. So 30 minutes later, they were taking out the opening because it wasn't earned to now the actual scores are in. The cars were tabulated. We saw the 15 highest recommendation, five strong, liked it. Okay. Uh, So what they did is that version of that movie that was seen that night was the movie that found its way to you. Okay. The jokes, the opening, all the contents, that movie had the tag where he comes out in Ferris Bueller, says, we've got cable. Um, All that stuff. All that stuff's in there. That is the movie that you got. That is the movie that was released. That was honed. That was, you know, shaped by audience scores. But that is to show you how seriously the studios take this. I have seen, like I said, my buddy, he got a 69. He got a 71. They're bad. They're bad scores. You want to get in those high 90s. I don't know that there is ever, ever been... um, I don't know if there's ever, ever been a, uh, um, you know, a hundred. That That is a mystery to me. I did not research that before popping on here today. But back to Deadpool 2. So David Leach, as he shows me the 78, 80% of Deadpool, Deadpool 2, which I am just absolutely loving. Uh, th- th- they say, we're going back. We're, we're testing this movie in a week. I did not go to that testing. Um... I do not know what was determined at that time. I knew afterwards. So they had already had on the schedule, 
reshoots for March. Well, I can tell you the sequence that had the the majority, a, a giant part of those reshoots were on that transport truck that I've told you I watched how Black Tom Cassidy died in his conflict with Deadpool on top of the truck and how he took out the other henchmen and was slicing people's hands off and heads and impaling them and it was a whole bunch of swordplay. And of course you saw when the movie got released that he just shoots Black Tom in the sarcophagus, in the the cell. You know, he never even makes it out. Well, what they did is they expanded and they built out Cable and Deadpool and they added added a whole lot of Domino. Not just to that scene, but to other scenes. Really, the scores that came back from Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 screened. The first test screening was at a 92. One under the final test screening of Deadpool number one. But the note was, we want more Domino. We want more Domino. We want more Cable and Deadpool interacting. So... When the uh, they went back in March for you know ten days of reshoots, that sequence where Deadpool uh, and Cable is shooting Deadpool and he's spinning his sword in a circle and the bullets are coming through and and it's not working and the bullets are shooting through Deadpool and so much of that fight that starts with him killing Black Tom that was not shot in the original you know. Uh, June to October shooting schedule, okay? It was middle of June to middle of October. They shot for four months, okay, in, 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 in Vancouver. But when they tested it, the audience said, we want more Domino. We want more Cable with Domino and Cable with Deadpool. So now the transport scene got expanded and you get that extra battle, that extra fisticuffs. They wanted more action. They wanted... uh more interplay between Cable and Deadpool, and they wanted it earlier in the film. So now this is why in the second act, you see, following their epic throwdown in the prison, that their battle on the transport is expanded again to this kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I want to call it like, like in comics, we'd call it like the jerk shot, the big shot. The, 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 the they, 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 uh, because that's when you, um, uh, when you when you play to the audience as much as possible, and 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 uh, you pander, it's pandering, and the shot between Cable and Deadpool is playfully pandering. It's now focused on them. Cable, kind of a great action shot with him extending his pistol out. Josh had to stay in great shape. He had to keep his hair that certain way. Um, uh, uh, you know, so, so when they recall you back after you've wrapped in October. And you've gone through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and you're going back in March. You know, you, you've maintained your great shape because Josh obviously transformed himself. So he lands and they do extensive reshoots. They did a couple reshoots as well. Um, and they filmed the tags that I was specifically told were going to be there. The Green Lantern, uh, Ryan uh, reading the script, the time traveling, some stuff. The, the reshoot schedule is built in for great ideas you're going to have later. So that you have room to film those. When I saw the cut that David had, he was telling me how excited he was to film the Ryan going back in time and shooting Wolverine. Uh, Ryan, you know, um, uh, Deadpool killing Ryan Reynolds. I mean, they were inspired. A few weeks before 
the movie was released, Ryan Reynolds contacted me and asked me if I had a problem with the voiceover where Domino is talking about me specifically and the no feet. That was being locked. That was being locked into the picture. Six weeks. It's audio. It's, it's easy to add. But he said, hey, we're doing this now. So, so just so you know, movie magic is made all the way up until the end. And so I said, Ryan, I love it. I, I dig it. I can't, I can't wait. And he goes, well, yeah. And, 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 and he's like, remember, I'm shooting my, myself in the head. It, it's, it's, you know, so I, he, he said, I appreciate you, you know, having a great sense of humor about this. I said, I love it. This is how movies are made and shaped and how long they carry. And that sequence uh, that they shot because people wanted more domino and more, and, and, and there is more domino in that fight. She enters that fight earlier. There is extended footage of her. The stuff where she is going up in the ceiling of the transport, that action sequence where she's fighting them was not there in the original. That is a product of the reshoot, okay? And the cable firing into the spinning sword, okay? That is now immediately in the trailers that are released in late March to get you hyped, for the May release of Deadpool 2, that the reshoots went so well that they were primary shots in the trailers, okay? So that is when you understand reshoots hone thing. Ryan Reynolds emailed me in late April and said, Rob, I just want to tell you, we got better scores on Deadpool 2 than we did on Deadpool 1. We just had the reshoot and the audience went crazy. And he said, and boy... Again, from Mr. Reynolds himself, boy, oh boy, did they love Cable and Domino. Take a bow, sir. You should be really proud of these characters. I was so touched. I was so thrilled. And again, that is the result. Deadpool 2 made identical money to Deadpool 1. They basically made the same. Uh, which, in a world of sequels, is very difficult. A lot of sequels, even to this day, they drop off. They don't make as much as the movie that launched the the, the franchise and, Dare, and and Deadpool was such had such a fever and a fervor around it, and uh, and, and and so so Deadpool two, opened big, uh, opened bigger than Deadpool one, opened, uh, oh, oh, you know went on to make its three hundred and thirty whatever million dollars in the United States again. And again, for significance, that's that's so much more money than the Spider-Man Homecoming movie made. That's almost a hundred million more than the Venom each Venom has made. I mean, a hundred million more. These guys knew what they were doing. They were they were, and they were competing. That summer, Deadpool two came out. Remember, it came out two weeks after Infinity War and one week before Solo. Uh, screens were hard to come by. IMAX screens you could hold them for a week at a time. Okay, after Solo came the new Oceans 13 or the Oceans 11 or the Oceans 10, whatever the Sandra Bullock version of that with Aquafina, that actually, if you can believe it, was the highest grossing Oceans movie. Um, and, and that summer, then Toy Story 4 came. I mean, I mean, th- there was just an avalanche of, of product that year that, that, that could be the Lion King later on down the road. That summer, it was so packed. My head is spinning. But, uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, again, it's just, uh, it, it really is a testament that these two R-rated films uh, together combined for about $1.5 billion. That's, you know, on an investment from a studio of about $250 million. That's a, you guys, that's a great return. That's a Marvel-style return. So I have lived through this. I know what goes into more domino, more cable, 
they felt confident knowing what they did in the first movie, that if they followed these audience notes, that they, if they listened to the scores, if they listened to what people liked and they amped up the jokes and they amped up the action, that they would be able to, um, to present a, a bigger, better version. Now, the bathhouse scene that was only seen on the DVD, the home video release, I remember mourning the loss of that because I saw it in that cut that David Leach showed me. Because sometimes, you know, you add something, you got to cut something else. I love the scene in the opening montage where he goes into the, um, the, the, the Japanese bathhouse and battles all of the, I mean, sumo guys. And, and I love the violence. I love the action, the swordplay in that. And I saw that when David showed me the original. But when it was released, he said, oh yeah, I know we had to lose that in lieu of these other added cuts. So, I mean, sometimes things get swapped out. So we have heard before in depth, uh, entire movies have been reshot solo. Uh, you know, Lord and Miller with what everyone was in agreement on had, had 18 days left to shoot the movie. The Star Wars Brain Trust shut them down. There is a version of that movie we will never see. You know, the making of these movie books are never coming to us. The Star Wars movies have done the most extensive reshoots in recent times. Rogue One, it was uh, very common knowledge that Rogue One, and, and if you can actually queue up Rogue One's original trailer, you can absolutely witness for yourself that uh, that there was a whole lot of reshoots there is um there is all sorts of lines scenes uh special effects stuff that did not that did not make it into um that, that did not make it into the rogue one you know uh the, the rogue one version that we all saw now i love rogue one i love it it's one of my favorite star wars films i bumped into people who, who don't care for it at all maybe you're that person i happen to love the all of the old school 1977 connections um, you know, but, but, but the, bo the bottom line is Rogue One's reshoots were, uh, very well, uh, 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 advertised and, uh, you know, in January 20 in January 15th of 2017, the Verge, the an online magazine had Rogue One's reshoots show how Disney saved the first standalone Star Wars movies. Gareth Edwards' film was a surprisingly risky experiment for this franchise. It says, Now that Rogue One, a Star Wars story, has been out of theaters for a month, the veil of secrecy has been lifted, and we've learned quite a lot about how the film came together. This is pretty typical for most movies, save for the fact that Rogue One went, thrum, went through some of the most extensive reshoots ever. Okay? Disney put an enormous amount of effort into Rogue One, bringing in writer and director Tony Gilroy in June to help fix up the film, writing new dialogue, directing additional scenes, earning a screenplay credit for the film, and reportedly earning a hefty $5 million paycheck for his efforts. For reshoots. That's how extensive they were. Looking over the wealth of information that's come out about Rogue One, one can glean some interesting details about the production and how it could affect the future installments of the franchise. Gareth Edwards appears to have taken an unorthodox approach to filming Rogue One. In an interview with Yahoo Movies, one of the film's three editors, Colin Gowdy, noted that he began assembling a crude cut of the film in 2014 using nothing more than a story outline, cannibalizing scenes from hundreds of movies like Aliens and War Games, which helped them figure out how to structure the movie. Six months later, the team worked on creating previs for the film's biggest sequences. This looks as though it was monumental. It was a monumental amount of work, and by necessity, it changed once the script was written and the camera started rolling. 
They reconceptualized the story. Once the production was underway, the film's editors worked through the reams of material to come up with a rough version of the film, knowing that they would eventually have to do pickups and reshoots. Again, they're built into the budget. Every studio, Disney, Sony, Universal, you name it, Fox, they have it. It's not clear exactly when Disney stepped in, but it was reported, again, I'm reading from The Verge, at the end of May, that Disney executives were not satisfied with the first cut and ordered the reshoots shortly thereafter. They brought in Tony Gilroy, who had demonstrated, uh, you know, it, it was a demonstration by bringing in Tony Gilroy that Disney had some real concerns about parts of this movie and they wanted to retool it. The uh, editor, John Gilroy, joined the team and the story was reconceptualized, leading to scenes that fleshed out characters like Cassian Andor, Bodhi Rook, uh, Cassian's introduction and Jin's escape from the Imperial transporter on Wobani were scenes that came from this process. So again, you get a lot, a lot of, uh, of, 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 of information in this article. It goes on to add this ending seems to have been slimmed down to help keep the form, help keep the film on point. According to Tony Gilroy, the number of characters and locations meant that the team editors had to balance out the action and the battle scenes against the characterization. Ben Mendelsohn, okay, who played the bad guy, the Imperial bad guy in Rogue One, uh, spoke to Collider, the website Collider, and said 20 or 30 scenes were changed and that he felt uh, there will be an enormously different rendering of the film. Um, So, so, you know, and this, this talks about the absolute secrecy that cloaked the reshooting of Rogue One. It says here, missing trailer shots. Look at the first trailers and compare them against the final product. It is clear that there are major changes from the earliest cuts in the final version that premiered in December. Iconic shots such as Felicity Jones' Jin Erso in a hallway and Ben Mendelsohn's Krennic standing on the bridge of the Death Star did not make it into the finished film. While other footage suggests Jin, K2SO, and Andor's Last Stand may have originally taken place on the beaches of Scarif rather than on the Citadel Tower. That's what I'm talking about. You can see a lot in the original trailer. So much footage that we saw depicting different locations and different conflicts did not make it in. They changed it. Did I love Rogue One? I did. And and maybe it just comes down to uh, they these reshoots worked. And, and maybe that Darth Vader sequence, maybe it was there. Maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, the bottom line is when it says here, what did the... What did the final cut mean for film goers? Rogue One certainly looks to have gone through an unusually complicated production, which led to some anxiety around June when the word began to break. Many commentators were worried about the potential shift from the film's shift in tone from a war and espionage film to one that lined up more with the tone of The New Hope. The final cut of Rogue One certainly connects directly to New Hope, and it has been hailed for being a darker story in the larger Star Wars ecosystem. Uh, the bottom line is the movie did very well, made a billion dollars for Disney. They feel like whatever they did made sense, but that is an example of a non-superhero movie and the extension to which they had to do reshoots. But here we're going to get to the Thor stuff that I promised you. And in the book written, um, uh, written by, by Tara and, uh, and 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 uh, the, the the story the, the the story of Marvel Studios. Okay, uh, this again c- just cannot more highly recommend this book. 
written by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. The story of Marvel Studios, the making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are excerpts in here that talk about the, um, you know, the trouble that went into making Thor Dark World. And I'm going to read that directly to you right here, right now, because this is where it all goes down. Okay. So, and, uh, oh man, this is just, this is just fantastic. Um, so, so, so in this book, um, they, they speak about Dark World. So first of all, Patty Jenkins, who did Wonder Woman, was on the movie for about two months. There was a conflicting interest with Within, with the vision that she wanted to do. The movie doesn't go, the book doesn't go deep into it, but it just says she had a different vision. She wanted to make a superhero Romeo and Juliet kind of movie. And obviously after chewing on it for a while, you know, Marvel decided they wanted to go in a different direction and Patty Jenkins was let go. And they don't hide that she was let go. And they're like, well, now they, you know, they're like, she was meant to do Wonder Woman. We're so glad that she got that opportunity. So again, she has a giant success with the Wonder Woman franchise. So that, sort of take some of the sting that I'm sure she was feeling at the time and the awkwardness. They had gone out of their way to then look and land a really great director. And they got that in, um, they, they believe they got that in Alan Taylor, who was, had done some seminal, excellent, amazing Game of Thrones episodes. But here it is. It says, uh, the beginning of the new year with multiple films in various stages of production was now the norm for Marvel Studios. Thor, the Dark World's post-production, however, was turning out to be exceptionally challenging. As, mer- <laughs> as major narrative issues became clear across multiple cuts created for review. The studio had faced similar problems before with Iron Man 2, but the pressure of Dark World to deliver a compelling story was amplified due to the colossal success of The Avengers. Thor's character arc had developed significantly throughout the Avengers, which ended with him apprehending his brother Loki and returning him to Asgard, independent of what they had shot for the Dark World. But notably now, staring at all the footage, the studio again had to step back and ask what this Thor-led movie should be about. Where was he now in his personal journey? How could they make that journey journey as vital as possible? The current cut of the film was exceptionally serious seriously dark and the resolution of its final act didn't feel earned again that earned that you're going to that you're going to hear a lot that i said that they were talking about with deadpool that they didn't earn the opening earned in 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 parentheses in quotes here uh again i'm reading from from the 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 story of marvel studios and uh didn't feel earned The resolution of the final act didn't feel earned. The practical answers to these questions was simple but ominous and raised questions of its own. Additional photography would be required, but would it be enough to course correct the story? Inner Circle writers like Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, and even Joss Whedon were enlisted for passes at rewriting scenes and writing brand new ones that would be slated for additional photography near the end of the summer. But patchwork scenes and punch-ups just weren't doing the job. Kevin Feige called together the core creative producers into one of the Manhattan Beach conference rooms. Scene by scene, they, de- they deconstructed the movie. Each sequence shot in principal photography was transferred to an index card pinned to the wall, and everyone started brainstorming about what was missing. Again, this is page 180 and 181 of the first volume. It's two books of the story of Marvel Studios. So on page 181... What was missing? We had 
purple-colored index cards, Kevin Feige remembers. And every time a new idea came up, we put it up. And suddenly, it's a sea of purple on the wall. The room fell silent. Luis de Esposito calculated that the volume of cards translated to 35 days of additional photography. You heard me that. You heard that right. Thor, the Dark World. All of their kind of analyzing of what the movie needed translated from the producer, Luis de Esposito, 35 days of additional photography, an unprecedented number for the studio's still early film history. Exhilarated and a little punch drunk by the process, producer Jeremy Latcham enthused. Look, we fixed it. We're the best in the business, he joked. D'Esposito looked at Latcham and deadpan. That's right, only 35 days of additional photography. We're the best in the business. High five, everyone. 35 days of reshoots. 35 days of reshoots, you guys. Check that out. It reminds a lightning rod moment of humility for the studio and an offside and inside joke for all the longtime producers who are in the room. If you're the best in the business, you wouldn't have needed to do 35 days of reshoots for crying out loud, Kevin Feige acquiesces. So the best in the biz saying is also part of the self-depreciating humor, I think, that keeps us humble as we do this. A glaring, humbling moment, but one they were willing to embrace and do work to fix. Staring down those numbers... And committing to them was the ultimate test of the studio's the best idea wins, in in quotes, the best idea wins, ethos, because that's their motto. This book is full of mottos. This is the most popular one, the best idea wins. Marvel Studios put their money where their mouth mouth was by embracing additional photography as the optimum tool to make these ideas the best reality. In that same conference room, they pitched Alan Taylor what the new movie was, and then they pitched Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston. Once everyone was on board, scripting of the necessary scenes commenced, and D'Esposito went to work scheduling the summer shoot. But with the cast already committed to other projects, scattered to the four corners of the earth, the logistical complexity required to fix the dark world increased exponentially. Woo! Listen to that. The logistical complexity required to fix the Dark World increased exponentially. I mean, so Dark World, Marvel's done this before. And I'm not done because I'm going to show you how the good things come out of these reshoots. How the good things come out, okay? And uh, I'm going to show you by going to this page. Uh, Executing. So further, further on down... In the book, because they, they, they really play with the times and the months and the weeks, and they bounce you back between 2013, 2014. But uh, later on in the book, they rejoin this. It says, Dark Schedule, Bright Outcome. Executing Thor's The Dark World additional photography, which started shortly after San Diego Comic-Con that year, was far less joyful. was a far less joyful experience for D'Esposito because the cast was scattered across the globe on other projects. D'Esposito and the rest of the crew had several logistical nightmares to overcome. We had to pl- fly to Hong Kong to shoot Chris Hemsworth because he was shooting Michael Mann's Black Hat. We didn't want to disturb director Michael Mann's schedule, so we shot Chris at night on a separate stage. Then we couldn't bring Anthony Hopkins with us because he was not available, so we split-screened him. Chris played like he was opposite Hopkins the whole time. For the final act face-off in Greenwich Village, Selvig, Thor, and Jane Foster against Malekith, the entire sequence was comprised of three individual shoots. You guys, they shot them all separately, and none of them were filmed in the same room. What looked like London in the final movie was actually shot on three separate continents and then merged together in post. Not Greenwich Village, just Greenwich. Sorry, guys. My one miss, but here it comes. Here it comes. Here's what reshoots get you. And let's be honest. Isn't this part of one of, 
if not completely your favorite part of the movie. The reshoots did, however, birth new ideas, such as Loki morphing into Captain America. In that scene, Thor and Loki are walking and talking, and Loki keeps changing appearances to irritate his brother. We were doing the additional photography on the Dark World at Manhattan Beach. At the same time, Winter Soldier was filming, Feige says. Evans was nice enough at the end of one of his days to take off his Winter Soldier outfit, put on his Captain America Avengers outfit, and do the entire Loki thing, which was very cool of him. For director Alan Taylor, all of this was an immersion lesson in the Marvel Studios' way of locking a picture, locking a movie. In particular, Taylor discovered that the post can reveal an entirely new movie than previously expected. In my case, we had a movie where Thor broke up with his girlfriend and his brother died, Alan Taylor cites. By the time we released it, they never broke up and the brother was alive. He laughs. A lot of stuff happened on, happened on the way, like rediscovering the lightness of Thor and the fact that Chris is a natural, brilliant comedian. That scene where Loki is morphing into Chris talking, I remember in the theater, it just caught me. It made me laugh. It lightened my mood. I, I, I Again, I, I wasn't in love with Dark World at the time. That is an essential uh, moment with Loki doing that and, and, and really showed us a lot about Loki, showed us how clever he was. In the moment of the movie, it was great to, that we got a shock shot of Chris Evans. All this stuff is a result of, like I said, sometimes good ideas need time to make themselves in. And so, whether it was Deadpool 2, whether it was Deadpool, whether it was Rogue One, whether it was an entire solo film, um, look, the stakes are high on this stuff. Look at Thor Dark World, 35 days. I am certain that Marvel is looking at Dark, Doctor Strange and they are implementing the best possible notes because this isn't done by accident. And it's not like someone poorly acted and they didn't like that. It's that the story could go in a stronger stronger direction and maybe something that you were wagering on, maybe something you were betting on, maybe one direction that you were curious about didn't pan out and the audience is letting you know right now because there is an immense amount of money. These movies, these Marvel movies at the rate that they are making them now are 300 to 400 million endeavors, not just the budgets. That's the marketing and the promotion. That's what is committed out the door. That movie needs to make a billion dollars just to turn a profit. It because you, so many of you are still operating under the fact that if you read that a movie made $100 million its opening weekend that the studio in fact kept that $100 million. At the end of the day, it does not. It keeps 50%. The, the theater eventually has to get their money. The theater that you are sitting in, that you are watching the projection on in the comfy chair, in the nice air-conditioned theater, they pay for that by getting a portion of the sales. Now, they may get 100 of the opening weekend, but in the end, it averages out that they did. They may get... They may go 60-40 the first week, the second week, 50-50, the, the third week, 40-60 to the studio, 60 to the theater. So again, it all balances out. The money flows. And at the end of the day, you know, you need these big giant numbers to justify the big giant financial commitments. So don't blame them for trying their darndest to get it right. Now, you can guess what they're doing. You can, you can guess, is it, is it, are they going to put more guest appearances in? Are they going to build out more character? I've already covered with you that Deadpool 2, the initial screenings benefited from audiences wanting more of Josh Brolin as Cable, more of Zazie Beetz as Domino acting alongside Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. And they got that. And you guys came and you showed up and you delivered and you loved that movie. And who knows what would have continued. An X-Force movie was right around the corner. That was the plan to shoot the X-Force movie the next summer and keep that franchise rolling. It's now all in Disney's hands, but I wouldn't be worried about Doctor Strange 2. Reshoots are built into the budget at least, let's say at least 20 days. 
are built. Maybe you take 14, maybe you take 17, maybe you need 21. Maybe in Thor, The Dark World's case, a very important movie, again, like they said, building out the post-Avengers success of that world, given that Iron Man 3 had made a billion dollars, they wanted to be certain that they had a hit. They did 35 days of reshoots. Who knows what we didn't get? Who knows what we didn't see? Alan Taylor sounds like he learned a lot. I'm not sure those reshoots are built in on TV shows, but in the big screen movies, they are on the Star Wars franchises, on the Marvel franchises, on the Sony Marvel franchises. It's all part of this. Look, we can make it better given some breathing room. You're on set. You have an idea. You have a script. You you think in that moment in time in October of 2017, when you wrap Deadpool 2, that you've said everything you want to say, but you know that maybe there'll be more to say in four to five months. And what you really have is 10 months because the movie's out in 10 months after you wrap. And that is plenty of time, especially given today's amazing turnaround with all the graphic artists, the computer. Um, You know, it used to be, it was an ILM world. Now there's so many of them. And guess what? They're all booked because there's such a demand for this stuff. Expanding special effects, reshoots, film crews, locations. It's all built in. It's all part of the frosting. You don't put the frosting down first, okay? Reshoots are the frosting. And more often than not, they make the difference in making us love something, not like it. One last thing I know for a fact, and they've talked about it openly after Disney bought Fox because Free Guy had already been shot because of Disney. And we read how they got, they pulled Chris Evans in on the shoot because now Disney was part of the bigger deal. And that's how you got the Hulk hands and the lightsabers and the Avengers theme song. Um, and the Captain America shield and the cameo by Chris Evans. Again, that was all improvised. That's all, hey, we have this in front of us now that we didn't have prior to that. That is the beauty of movie magic and that these are indeed moving trains going down the track so fast. And, and you know, a couple a couple miles down the road, something may, something may open up and you're going to jump on that track and you're going to take advantage of that. So the truth behind reshoots is what we covered today. I hope it was somewhat informative. I hope I shared some light. Deadpool 2 benefited. Deadpool 1 benefited almost every movie you've ever seen, especially in the year of 2021, this, this period that we live in now going forward 22, 23. Reshoots are going to become a bigger part because everything's moving faster. Everything is moving faster. These these, these movies and the access, the accessibility that we have to them and the impatience that we're getting, the faster we process, uh, I, I trust that the reshoot process will become even more aggressive in the future. That's what I believe. You guys, thank you for taking this trip with me. I love discussing all this. I hope I can connect some dots. I hope I can show you some real great examples of, of tremendous success that was achieved via the planned reshoots, the icing. It's the icing. It finishes the product. You guys, thank you for spreading the news. Thanks for listening. I'm never going to charge you for this show. This show is done for free. I do this show for you guys. We don't have ads. I don't want to read those ads. We are not, um, we, you, you, this isn't going to be kicked to some platform. I do this for you guys. I'm so glad you guys take this trip with me and you spend this time with me. And I hopefully am, uh, am, am, am giving you some topics that, that are interesting to you and you continue to share your passion for this show with your friends. We need your five stars. We need your recommendations. We read your reviews. This is the time of the show where I read your reviews and you guys are so generous and so fun and so kind. Um, and we need them. We, we need 
the word of mouth that helps us on the platform. It helps us on all of this, all of the platforms. So here we go. This review from in from De D Hex D E H E X eighteen. Dhex18, infectious enthusiasm. He gives us five stars. I admit I am too young to have been around for the height of Rob Liefeld's popularity in the 90s with Image Comics and Marvel. Nonetheless, Rob brings a passion and enthusiasm about comics and other corners of the nerdy pop culture that is, as I say in title, in the title, infectious. I love listening to comic book interview podcasts, especially when I'm drawing my own silly comics because it can be really inspiring and interesting. Unfortunately, a lot of these comic book podcasts get mired down in just complaining about stuff, and it's no fun to listen to. Not Rob Liefeld. Even though Rob never shies away from pulling back the curtain and sharing the less seemly feuds and controversies involved in how comic books are made, I have yet to hear Rob ever be hateful or self-righteous in the podcast. Plus, the feud episodes are balanced out by plenty of episodes where Rob just shares the things he's into. I found so many new things to enjoy from these episodes, and my life is fuller for it. I hope Mr. Liefeld keeps this going for a very long time. I've got a lot of witches and centaurs to draw, and I need something good to listen to while I do that. Thank you, D-Hex, D-E- H-E-X-18. Thank you so much for leaving this review. This touches me and inspires me. Thank you. You guys, you leave, leave these reviews. I will happily read them on air just like I read D-Hex. D-E-H-E-X. D-Hex-18. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for that. Look, guys, this uh, I, I'm always around. You can reach me on social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name, on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. Both of those have blue checks to tell you that I am real. I'm me. We have a Rob Observations Facebook page. It's Rob Observations by Rob Liefeld. Go find it. It's on Facebook. Join it. Um, that's where you can ask me more questions. We can have even more discussion. I am all over Facebook. I'm all over Twitter. I'm all over Instagram. I love hanging out. I love talking to you guys. It is such a delight. It is such a pleasure to have this be in this age where we can reach out and, and talk directly to each other. This is the time of the show where you promise me you're going to take care of yourself. You're going to take care of yourself emotionally, spiritually, mentally. I believe you. I know that you are going to do that. Please do that. Do that for yourself. And stay safe. And we are going to talk again. We are real soon. 